0: Welcome to Cross Examine with Dr. Frank Turek.
1: You've sent me many questions over the past few months, and I haven't had an opportunity to get to them. I hope to get to some of them today on this broadcast. Questions like, "Why did God allow Adam and Eve to be tempted when He knew what would happen?" And what about those that have never heard about Jesus? Are they just damned to hell because they did not get? The chance to accept Christ? And what about those who think they are good people and don't need forgiveness? These are some of the questions I hope to get to today. I also hope to get to a COVID update for you. But before I do, I want to revisit what we talked about a little bit on the last podcast. The podcast about my friend Mike Adams, who tragically died, it looks like by suicide, just a couple of weeks ago. The last uh, radio program and podcast was... The Mike Adams I knew and loved, and you can go back and listen to that. I've got several emails from you, complimentary emails and expressing condolences. I appreciate all those. Uh, I want to read one of them that came to me uh, by a gentleman by the name of Walter, who said, Dr. Turek, thank you for your beautiful remembrance of Mike Adams. I think we Christians let him down in two ways. First, for an evangelical Christian like Professor Adams to be despondent. To feel that alone, that suicide might seem to make sense, is an indictment, not of friends like you and Jay Warner Wallace and others, but of businesses in Wilmington, fellow professors, even liberals who should have stood for him, the UNCW alumni, etc. Yes, you might be unpopular for standing up for him. You might lose your job. The communist left might want to boycott you but you would still be right on the side of truth and their strength in number. Second, we Christians have falsely believed that if we would just be tolerant, everything would be okay. All right, let me stop right here. This is not him speaking, but me. Tolerance is a virtue. If you're talking about uh, hearing ideas with which you disagree. And by the way, you need to disagree with an idea in order to tolerate it. If you agree with it, you don't tolerate it. You agree with it. That is a virtue. It's not a virtue. however, To be tolerant of evil and to allow evil to overrun your family or overrun your society. Love does not require approval. In fact, love requires you to stand against evil if you want to be loving. And every parent knows this. Every parent knows that if you approve of everything your child wants to do, you're not loving, you're unloving. You can't tolerate evil. OK, so anyway, this gentleman, Walter, says second, we Christians have falsely believed that if we would just be tolerant, everything would be OK. We let ourselves be silenced and it failed miserably, so miserably that people like Mike Adams felt all alone for what is obviously true and in a sane world, non-controversial. It is way too late to start pushing back, but we must push back now and keep at it until religious freedom is restored and our society has become more the truth, the truth of the Christian worldview. And it is true because Christ is true. The facts are on our side. Speak up. Science is on our side. You were born male or female. Homosexuality is not a social good. Transgenderism is a psychological problem. Abortion is the taking of a human life. The best way. Now, I just said all that and some of you are cringing. You know why you're cringing? You're cringing because you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say the truth. No. Yeah, you're you're more influenced by the culture than you are by Christ. That's the problem. All right. Back to what this this gentleman says. Abortion is taking over human life. The best way for a child to grow up and to be healthy is in a two parent home. And I and I have to add. A man married to a woman. That's how crazy our world is. All the businesses and educational facilities rushing to endorse Black Lives Matter is a public humiliation of spinelessness. All right, let me stop right here. It's spineless because it's done without any amount of information other than, oh, well, of course, Black Lives Matter. I guess we got to support that. Well, of course, it's true. The problem is the organization is a Marxist organization that wants to stop everything that we believe from happening, they want to stop um, they want to stop free property for owner, owner uh, private property ownership. they want to stop that. This is why it's ironic that a bank a like Bank of America gives millions of dollars to an organization, Black Lives Matter, that if it had its way, would do away with banks because there would be no private property They want to do away with the nuclear family. They want to support everything LGBTQ and everything LGBTQ is self-contradictory. You have the feminists that war with the transgender folks in that movement because they know if transgenderism wins the day that there are no genders, then there are no women, which means feminism is out the window. This is, well, we've talked about this on this program before. The contradictions are legion. And yet this group Wants to support that. So, of course, Black Lives Matter, but the organization is a disaster. And this gentleman, Walter, is pointing it out. He's pointing it out that it's, it's, it's basically shakedown money is what these corporations are paying. Um, we're just going to give you money, so don't hurt us. Don't say anything bad about us. It's shakedown money. And he goes on to say, this gentleman, Walter, says, we are witnessing Martin Niemöller's mea culpa. What is Martin Niemöller's? Niemö- easy for me to say. Martin Niemöller. Molers, maya culpa. Martin Niemoller was a pastor in World War II Germany. He opposed Hitler and the Nazis, and he famously said this. He wound up in a concentration camp for several years. He he, he lived through it, but. He famously said this first, they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Martin Niemöller is absolutely right. We need to speak up, ladies and gentlemen. We put our people out on the front lines like Mike Adams and then we retreat. Like David's forces retreated from Uriah purposefully. They put this brave warrior out there and then they pulled back so he would get killed. Because David didn't want him alive to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. That's kind of what we're doing to people like Mike Adams. We just send him out there and we quietly root him on. And we say to him, Mike, we really agree with you, but we can't really say anything
0: about it. Go, go.
1: And then something tragic happens. And we didn't speak up. That shouldn't happen, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm not saying this is the entire reason that Mike Adams tragically took his own life, but it certainly was a, a, a factor. I'll uh, give you updates if we get them, and I'm permitted to give these updates uh, about Mike. Um, But thank you for your condolences. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your texts, for those that uh, I know personally. Uh, I want to now talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19 to shift, shift subjects, which actually Mike was partially a a victim of COVID-19. As I mentioned, he a few weeks before he died, said COVID-19 has not been good. This isolation has not been good to me or good for me. Uh, He was a gregarious person that lived alone and loved to teach and loved to be in the classroom. And that couldn't happen. He couldn't even go out with his friends for a while. In any event, with regard to COVID-19, let me preface this by saying some people in my family, my close family have coronavirus. And, um, People will say, oh, you know, you don't have it. If you had it, you wouldn't speak this way about it. Um, you would be for all these lockdowns and everything. No, not true. There's people in my family that have it. Ben Shapiro had a, a very good program on this earlier in the week, his uh, August 3rd show. Ben is a pretty solid thinker on these issues, solid thinker on a lot of things. And um, he was pointing out that according to the data, you know what the average death of a COVID death, average age of death of a person who dies from COVID in the United States is average age, 80, eight, zero. That's the average age. Now, I don't want anybody to die, obviously, but this is not a disease that affects every age group the same way. It affects different age groups differently, so we should treat those different age groups differently. And I'll get into it right after the break and then get to some of those questions I mentioned at the top of the program. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, org, back in two minutes friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank turk on American Family Radio Network website, cross-examine.org app. cross cross-examine, two words in the app store, cross-examine. YouTube channel, 200,000 followers, thank you is the Cross-Examined YouTube channel. Over 800 short videos on there, most of them short anyway. Q&A videos from the college campus. Check that out. Check out the Facebook page, crossexamined.org, and Dr. Frank Turk, Dr. Frank Turk. There's two of them. And uh, like us there if you would. Now, we're talking a little bit about COVID-19. Just a quick update on it. Uh, Looking at the data, as I mentioned earlier, the average age of death is 80 for someone who dies of COVID-19. As Shapiro was mentioning on his program, your young... Kids, kids are 16 to 20 times more likely to die from the flu than COVID-19. This is why Shapiro and many others, even the CDC is saying kids need to get back to school. This is not a factor for kids. In fact, if you're below 20 years old, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to die from COVID-19. Okay, so. The issue that some are saying is, well, maybe these uh, kids can pass it to teachers and then teachers could get sick. There's there's very little evidence that that's the case. Kids do not appear to be doing that. Now, there's a lot we don't know. That's true. But there are places that never shut down schools. There was a study out of Japan. They said it's it's not a good thing to shut down schools. There's uh, Sweden, to my knowledge, never shut down their schools. And they're doing much better than the U.S. Right. In fact, they never shut down their economy. And I know this sounds something that you would not want to say because it seems insensitive, but the way forward nationally and around the world on this issue is to gain herd immunity. What does that mean? It means that the more people, healthy people who get it, the less it can be transmitted to the people who are vulnerable because the disease has nowhere to go once you get above a certain percentage, and we're not sure where that percentage is. Some say 60%, some say 70%. Others are suggesting it's much less. 30%, 40% of the people have it. The thing dies. There's nowhere for it to go. And you get herd immunity by having healthy people who are not vulnerable to it, who will not die from it, get it. That's how you gain herd immunity. The vaccine is not going to come fast enough. And even if it does, vaccines are notoriously... Uh, notoriously unaffected or less effective than you would think. 40 to 50% effective. So the problem here is is that people are treating this like it's Ebola. The media treats it like it's Ebola. I mean, if, if you look at a media headline, you would think that in Texas, Ebola had struck and half the people are dead. Do you know how many people have died from this in Texas? Now, again, we, we, we hope nobody would die from it in Texas. We hope nobody would die from it anywhere, but it is what it is. As the president said recently, these, there are diseases that kill people, but in Texas, there's been a little over 7,000 people that have died from coronavirus, maybe approaching 8,000 now. you know how many people live in Texas? 29 million. California, about 9,000 have died. you know how many people live in California? 40 million people. 9,000? 40 million. The media reports like like this is Ebola and half the population's dead. It's not the case. In fact, there was a producer that just resigned from MSNBC and she resigned because she basically said that we're just prop- uh, we're just pumping out propaganda here for ratings. It's not about truth. It's about comfort for our audience. It's sensationalism. And I'm sure this is done on the other side, too. I'm sure Fox News does the same thing where do you get good information for this? Where do you get good COVID information? It's hard to find. Ben Shapiro recommended a, a website and I've been tracking it and I think he's right. There's a gentleman, uh, his name is Bonson. And if you go to the Bonsongroup.com, T-H-E, Bonson is B A B A H N S E N group.com, Bravo, Alpha, Hotel, November, Sierra, Echo, November. Can you tell I was in the Navy? That the and click on COVID, you'll get a good analysis right the middle, middle of the road analysis. He's, he's not an alarmist either way. And you'll get the, the facts and some great charts and graphs and all that. That's where you can go for, I think, reliable COVID data. And to say that, oh, we've got, you know, several hundred people die in a day in America from COVID. You know how many people die in America a day, just generally from all causes? About 7,500 people die in the U.S. every single day. Every single day. That comes to about two point eight million people a year. So just keep that in mind, COVID 19. A threat old people to older people, to people who have comorbidities, to people who have other issues. They should be sequestered. They should be very careful. The rest of the people out there are not gonna die from coronavirus on average. It's very rare that people die but but you know what the media does the media finds one young person that dies from it and highlights this and causes the rest of the society to have this irrational and disproportionate panic about it this is like governing by exceptions what do i mean by governing by exceptions you make laws if you make laws based on exceptions if you make news stories based on exceptions And try and extrapolate to the entire population. You have bad laws and bad results from these news stories. For example. um, Car accidents. How many people die from car accidents in America? About 30,000, 40,000 a year. But we never say, okay, we shouldn't drive anymore. We know there are exceptions. We know these things happen. We try and put safety equipment in cars and have proper of road laws and speed limits and all that. By the way, that's a legislation of morality. Do you notice that? Why is that a legislation of morality? Because we're presupposing that human beings are valuable, and they need to be protected with speed limits. All laws legislate morality. The only question is whose morality. So we're we're legislating morality all the time, but we don't shut down all of our traffic, all of our transportation, because people are going to get hurt sometimes. That cure would be worse than the disease. Same thing is true with coronavirus. We'd lock everything down. The cure is worse than the disease. Suicides are going up, as the CDC director said, of young people. He said, we have more people dying of suicides from coronavirus than we are from the coronavirus itself. Very few young people die from coronavirus. But if one does, the media is all over it. And everybody then thinks, oh, no, this is really bad. No, look at the data. It's bad when anybody dies. But nationally, per capita, you're, you're very, very unlikely if you're a young person to die from coronavirus. The flu. We've accepted that people die from the flu, so we don't make any big deal of it. But anywhere between 30 and 70,000 people a year die from the flu in the United States. And we don't shut down the economy. The cure would be worse than the disease. Governing by exceptions would be to say, look, I found a, an old person. He smoked Lucky strike, non-filtered cigarettes his whole life. He lived to be 100. I guess we ought to encourage smoking then. No, just because on occasion you can find a smoker outliving a non-smoker doesn't mean you put a law into effect to encourage smoking. That would be governing by exceptions rather than the rule. You govern based on the rule or the principle. You don't govern based on exceptions. And you shouldn't base your life on exceptions. You have to base your life on probability, probability. And if you notice, the goalposts keep moving. The goalposts just keep moving on this issue, don't they? It used to be, okay, we're just going to lock down to flatten the curve. Now, suddenly, we think we have to lock down to avoid the virus spreading everywhere. No, you, you can't avoid the virus spreading everywhere. It's going to spread. That's what viruses do. And once you hit herd immunity, it's over. And as you may have heard, there are some churches, particularly in California, that are defying Governor Newsom's order. John MacArthur famously has done so. And my friend Jack Hibbs has done so because they say we must obey God rather than man. And church is not a non-essential. Church is an essential. The secular media thinks, oh, church is just a hobby. No, it's not a hobby. It's our lifeline. It's something that we are told to do in the scriptures. The writer of Hebrews tells us not to stop meeting together. We're supposed to be together to encourage one another, to learn from one another, to learn from the pastor, to learn from one another, to become more like Jesus. Now we can open and open responsibly. Jack Hibbs has done that. He's got sections where people want to be socially distanced and wear masks and all that. And other sections where they don't, that's up to them. They take their, they take their own health and their, and, and in in, in their own accountability, their their own health, their own responsibility for their, for their own well-being. They take that into account when they go to church. They're not forced to go to church. They don't want to go to church. They don't have to. But for people that do, they can. And they need to protect people who are vulnerable. And that's what they're doing. There was a case that went to the Supreme Court. It wasn't taken by the whole court. I think it was one of these cases where the court just decided not to take it and didn't make a definitive ruling on it but the case was a Calvary Chapel in Nevada saying to the governor of Nevada you're allowing casinos to open and not churches well it went to the supreme court and the supreme court 5-4 decided they would not side with the Calvary Chapel they would they were siding with the governor of course Roberts who should be impeached because he's not obeying the constitution and neither are there four other liberals on that court. Wrote the, or Roberts joined the four liberals and, uh, and the, they sided with the, with the governor. Here's Gorsuch's one paragraph rebuttal, or I should say dissent. It's one paragraph. This is his dissent. Now, Gorsuch got the sex case wrong at last month, but he got this case right. Here's what he says. This is a simple case. Under the governor's edict, a 10-screen multiplex may host 500 moviegoers at any time. A casino, too, may cater to hundreds at once, with perhaps six people huddled at each craps table here and a similar number gathered around... Every roulette wheel there, large numbers and close quarters are fine in such places, but churches, synagogues and mosques are banned from admitting more than 50 worshipers. No matter how large the building, how distant the individuals, how many wear face masks, no matter the precautions at all. In Nevada, it seems, it is better to be in entertainment than religion. Maybe that is nothing new. But the First Amendment prohibits such obvious discrimination against the exercise of religion. The world we inhabit today with a pandemic upon us poses unusual challenges. But there is no world in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel, unquote. That's Justice Gorsuch. He's absolutely right. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You can't make laws prohibiting the free exercise of religion, but that's what the Nevada governor has done. That's what the California governor has done, and other governors have done it, and it needs to stop churches need to stand up you know my friend dan forrest run forrest run he's running for governor here in north carolina he says where does the government get off declaring what business is essential and what is it all businesses are essential especially to the people running them why should walmart be open but not a mom and pop shop be open why is all the money going to go to walmart and not the mom and pop where do we get off doing this well after the break friends i'll give you my opinion unvarnished back in two minutes
0: If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or Cross-Examined in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamine.org.
1: Yes, friends, I've been holding back what I really think in the previous couple of segments. I'm really going to lay it out now. I think we need to go back to school. I think we all need to go back to work while we sequester the people who are vulnerable. You can't treat the entire population as if we're 80-year-old overweight diabetics. we got to protect those folks, but the rest of society must move forward. And ladies and gentlemen, there's risk no matter what approach you take. Locking down the entire economy is a risk. Opening it up completely is a risk. You've got to find a healthy balance. But you can't treat everybody in the population as if we're all vulnerable because all of us, most of us are not. Now, I know there's a big, a big uh, controversy over kids going back to school. And some of you may not be able to go back to school. Uh, some of you are going to only be able to do school online. Well, what we've tried to do is create an online course that'll help you do that. You know, we're doing, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist or why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I'm doing one live beginning in September for high school and college students. You can be a part of that if you want, but we've also created a turnkey. Why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist course. In other words, if you're a teacher or a small group leader or a Sunday Sunday school leader, and you want to meet remotely, you can do that. And everything is already online for you. It's turnkey. All the videos are up there. The workbooks, the quizzes, the assignments, they're up there already. All you need to do is go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. If you want to sign up, you can as a teacher, and then your individual students can sign up. You can do this all remotely. Then you can have your own Zoom sessions or Skype sessions, whatever software you use to interact with the students, but you don't have to do anything other than, than interact with them because all the videos are up, all the workbook stuff is up, all, you know, all the questions and quizzes. It's all up there for you. It's a turnkey course. So check it out on our website. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you'll be taken to online Christian courses. You'll see a bunch of other courses up there you can avail yourselves of as well. I'm not only teaching why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist live on Zoom. Uh, we'll have these Q&A Zoom sessions. I'm also teaching a new course this fall called How to Interpret Your Bible, Uh, That's brand new, never run it before. And we'll have Zoom sessions as well if you take the premium course. So check all that out. All right, let me get to your questions now. Michelle, all the way from South Africa, asked a bunch of questions. Sorry, I couldn't get to all of them. But here's a question that Michelle asks. In Genesis, why did God put the tree of life in the Garden of Eden if he knew, knowing everything before it even happens, that Adam and Eve would eat from it? Great question, Michelle. We might also ask a question. Why did God allow us to be born, knowing that we would sin against him as well. Why, why stop at Adam and Eve? Why not us? Well, let's go back to Adam and Eve for a second. God knows what's going to happen. He's all knowing. So he knows no matter what scenario that he chooses, he he knows the outcome, but that doesn't mean he's causing the outcome in the sense that he is overriding our free will. If God wants to create a universe that's moral, then he has to give us free will. If he doesn't give us free will, it's an immoral universe. We can't love. Of course, we can't hate either because we don't have free will. He could have created a robot world or no world, but he created a world where he could love creatures and they could return love and they could love one another. But in order to do that, there's a risk. And the risk is you got it. When you give them free will, they can they can do evil with it. I'm grateful that God gave Adam and Eve the opportunity, the free choice to sin. Because if he didn't, this wouldn't be a moral world. And we couldn't be redeemed. And do we think, by the way, we would do any better than Adam and Eve that we wouldn't fall? No, I would have fallen. All of us would have fallen at some point. And is God obligated not to create any universe at all because people decide freely to reject God? I don't think that follows either. If people freely reject God, it's not God's um, God is not is not his hands aren't tied when he says, "Oh, if somebody sins, then I can't create at all." No, we instrumentally create children, and we know they're going to sin, but we do it anyway. Why? Because we know it's worth the cost. We know that love can overpower that. Maybe "overpower" is not the right word. That we can love people. That love is worth the cost. That we can love people even though they can hate us in return. And if people don't want the free gift of forgiveness that Christ provides, they don't have to take it. And if they're separated from God for eternity because of that, that's their own free choice. But God is not, his hands aren't tied if somebody decides not to accept his love. Just like a governor, his hands aren't tied if he pardons two prisoners, and yet only one prisoner accepts the pardon. He doesn't say, well, since this other guy didn't accept the pardon, I can't pardon this other criminal I wanted to pardon. No, he, he offers the pardon to both, and if one of them rejects it, well, that's that guy's prerogative. So God offers the pardon to all, but not all take it. Now, this transitions into another question that's been asked. It's a what one of, what of those who have never heard question, it, it comes from uh, from Ash, who's actually in Spain. He says, Dr. Turk, I just wanted to thank you for all your work and how you reach out to young people due to the vast majority leaving the faith. He said, I'm a missionary kid. I'm 17. I'm in Spain. I've been reading your books and listening to your podcast. And I just wanted to tell you how much they've strengthened my faith and how after I graduate college. I plan to return to Spain to teach apologetics based on the content you present. No, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Well, thanks, Ash. Actually, the book's in Spanish now, so that would be helpful. Here's the question. He says, so I've several. I've heard several responses. So what about those who've never heard? Question. There is something that I struggle with. This is something I struggle with. The answer I've heard is that there is enough in creation and conscience to know that there is evidence for God and the need for forgiveness. The people of the Old Testament were saved, even though they never heard the name of Jesus because they trusted in God. I have difficulty explaining this because salvation is through Christ alone. Yet people around the world can be saved by trusting in God. However, they, however, might put different names on God. So how do we avoid this becoming pluralism in how people can be saved without knowing Jesus? Well, it's not really pluralism. I think what you mean is inclusivism, that people can be saved without knowing Jesus. And um, so that's the basic question. And uh, here's the answer. First of all, notice this is a moral question. So many of the questions are moral. You don't even think they're moral, but they are. Why is this a moral question? Because it implies that God is somehow immoral. If he's all loving, uh, he wants all to be saved. Well, why doesn't his gospel go to everyone so they can be saved then? Is, is he immoral for not at least providing the opportunity of salvation to all people? Well, here are some of the things we might say in response. First of all, everybody knows that God exists through nature and conscience. They know there's a creator God out there. And that's what Ash was saying in his question. There's natural revelation. There's nobody out there who's never heard. Everybody has heard that there's a creator God and he's a moral creator. Now, they don't know about Jesus, but they know there's some kind of being, some kind of creator, a designer, a moral being. And we've fallen short of that standard. Everybody knows that intuitively. We may suppress that. We may go our own way. We may suppress it so much, as Paul talks about in Romans 1, that we no longer know it because God has given us up to our own desires. But at some point, everybody understands that there is a creator God and he's a moral God. Now, there are some who say that those who don't know Jesus can be saved by Christ's sacrifice if they seek God, like the Old Testament saints did. They didn't know the name of Jesus, but they knew there was a Messiah coming. And they just put their trust in Yahweh and were saved. Is it philosophically possible that people are still saved the same way? Sure, it's philosophically possible, but it seems that the scripture teaches that you need to know the name of Jesus since Christ has come. So... I would say the more biblically consistent view is that God will get true seekers the truth about Christ so they can be saved. For example, in Acts 10, Cornelius is a believer in Yahweh, but he doesn't know about Jesus. And so God sends a, a prophet over there, an apostle over there to save him so he can get the information. If Cornelius was fine without knowing about Jesus, why send the apostle over there? Now, you might say, well, yeah, but there's so many, so many people out there who haven't heard the name of Jesus. Well, William Lane Craig gives this answer, and I think it's, uh, it's worth thinking about. We know that there are many people out there who hear the gospel and don't believe, right? They know the gospel, but they go, nope, don't want that. It could be that God has so ordered the world that those who never hear the gospel wouldn't have believed it anyway. In fact, Paul seems to open up this possibility when he's talking to the Athenians on Mars Hill there in Athens, Greece. He says this in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. He says, From one man, God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Interesting. It says that God has determined the times where people live and. where they they exist, so that that some would reach out and find him. So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out and find find him. That could be an explanation that people who don't hear about Jesus wouldn't have believed him anyway. Certainly, there are many people who know, all people I argue, at some point in their lives knew that there's a creator God out there. They may have suppressed that, but at one point they knew. If they've suppressed that knowledge, if they've turned away from that knowledge, giving them more information isn't going to be helpful. If somebody shines a pen light in your face and you turn away, shining a flashlight in your face isn't going to be helpful. You're going to turn away from that more. In fact, it's going to be annoying to you. Or you could put it another way. Suppose you're lost in a jungle and you're trying to get out and you see a beam of light coming through the canopy. If you take a step toward that light, the light's going to get bigger. If you turn away from that light and wander away from it back into the jungle, whose fault is that? It's your fault. You don't, you didn't want the light you had giving you more light is not going to be helpful. Now, at the end of the day, we know that God is loving and just. He is the standard of justice. No one will ever be able to claim in the afterlife that God was unfair. No one's going to wind up in hell going, Oh, I don't deserve this. If I only knew, nobody's going to wind up doing that. Even Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus, you know, the rich man's in Hades and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom in, uh, in Luke 16. The rich man in Hades doesn't say I shouldn't be in here. He just says to Lazarus, he treats him like a servant. Hey, tell Lazarus to come down and, and relieve me of the agony I'm in down here. He doesn't say I shouldn't be in here. He just says, Hey, uh, go tell my brothers about this. And what does Jesus say in this parable, in this story? He says, look, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they won't even believe if somebody rises from the dead. So there's nobody in the afterlife that's going to say, I was treated unjustly. I was treated unfairly. C.S. Lewis has said, look, if this bothers you, what you ought to do is become a Christian and then help bring more people into the kingdom. But if you're concerned about it, it makes no sense to stay out of the kingdom. He says... Cutting off a man's fingers would be an odd way of getting him to do more work. If you're concerned about exclusivism, then you ought to get involved in Christianity. By the way, every worldview is exclusive. Muslims are exclusive about the afterlife. Hindus are exclusive about the afterlife. Atheists are exclusive about the afterlife. They think you just die. There's no choice at all. Christianity gives you a choice. You're going to take it? I'm Frank Turek. Back in two minutes. friends. Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. To, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist with Frank Derrick on the American Family Radio Network. We we're just talking about, what about those that have never heard? And it's not just this question, but there are other questions that, you know, you might, you might not feel comfortable with the answers you've been given. I get that. There's many answers that I don't feel comfortable with and I don't, I don't have the answer to. But let me say this. A God who suffers and dies to save you can be trusted with anything you don't know. A God who suffers and dies to save you can be trusted with anything you don't know. In other words, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then you can trust him. You can trust everything else about what he said. I just have a personal policy. If somebody rises from the dead, I just trust whatever the guy says. This is why the resurrection is so important. If the resurrection occurred, you can rest assured that what Jesus teaches is true. He taught the Old Testament's word of God. He promised the New Testament. If there are questions that you don't have answers to, adequate answers in your mind, keep hunting them down, but don't leave the faith. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. Game over. Everything else is secondary. And a God who enters humanity to suffer and die because he's an infinitely just being and he can't allow injustice to go unpunished. If that God takes our punishment on himself in order to save us from the punishment we deserve, and then he gives us his righteousness. If that if that's really true, you can trust him with anything. Things you don't know. A known God like this can be trusted with any unknown you have. Another question. Hi Frank. How do I, how do you respond to someone who isn't opposed to the idea of God but thinks he needs forgiveness or or but doesn't think he needs forgiveness. He said to me, "I'm not that bad and God's not that mad." Unquote. I told him just because it rhymes doesn't make it true. <laughs> and I tried to push the conversation to depravity and human nature. I could use a Frank Turk answer for the next time. Thanks for the podcast, Books and Rational Approach to Christianity, Vinny. Well, thanks Vinny, good question. Okay. First question I'd ask this young man is, first of all, what's your moral standard for saying you're not that bad? Where are you getting this moral standard? Secondly, are you married? If you are married, ask your wife if, if she thinks you need forgiveness, because the people closest to us know that, we're, that we are evil, that we are bent toward evil, that we are selfish. We're not as good as we think we are. Another question I'd ask, do you have any children? Do you have any two-year-olds? Yeah, the two, you're the terrible twos. You ever have anybody have a kid in the middle of the terrible twos? Please. They call it the terrible twos for a reason. You don't have to teach a kid to say mine. You have to teach the kid to share because he's naturally bent toward selfishness. He's naturally bent toward evil. In fact, here's a thought experiment I've mentioned to you guys before. Imagine you wake up one morning, you go into the bathroom, you're getting ready to, to go to work. Or even church, it's open. You, you, you're getting ready, you look in the mirror and you see there's a sign attached to the top of your head and it transmit transmits your every thought in LED letters. You can't remove the sign, you can't cover it. Everybody that sees you is going to be able to read every thought that comes across your mind. Would you leave your bathroom? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because your thoughts are evil. My thoughts are evil. We're judgmental, selfish people who size people up as soon as we see them. And most often it's not flattering. In fact, human depravity is the most empirically verified fact about humanity. That is the one that's most denied. People are bent toward evil. It's easy to be bad, hard to be good. Easy to be selfish, hard to be selfless. Not only that... But if somebody says he's a really good person, you could take the Ray Comfort approach. Have you ever stolen? Just anything. Have you ever lied? Have you ever thought lustfully about anybody else? Oh, you have. Oh, so you are a liar, you're a thief, and you're an adulterer. Because according to Jesus, if you've thought about it, you're guilty. How are you doing so far? Not very good. In fact, Jesus, in his interaction with the rich young ruler, says there is none good but God. Jesus was not denying his divinity. He was affirming his divinity. Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. What does that mean? There's none good but God. None of us are good then. None of us are good. Paul unloads in Romans chapter three about this. There's none good, not even one. And he goes on to describe how vile humanity is. No, none of us are good. Only Jesus is good. So he doesn't think he needs forgiveness. Yeah. Ask your wife if you need forgiveness. You do. And and one of the reasons we don't think we need forgiveness is because we have a, a relative moral standard in our mind. We compare ourselves to other people rather than God, rather than the standard he is. And the Bible just talks about how God's standards are so high the Psalms say things like, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Or your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Or God will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is the judge. Psalm 71 says, Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. Reaches to the skies. What does that mean? Righteousness reaches to the skies. What are the skies? What does this mean? Well, let's put it this way. Do you know how many stars that exist out there? There are more stars than there are grains of sand on all the beaches on all the earth. And to go from one star in our galaxy to another star in our galaxy, an average distance away, Would take you over 200,000 years if you could go space shuttle speed at five miles a second. In other words, if you're going five miles a second from our star, the sun, to another star in our galaxy, an average distance away, you're going five miles a second. Let's say you started at the time of Christ. You've been going five miles a second for 2,000 years. If you were trying to go from our star, the sun, to another star in our galaxy, an average distance away, You'd be less than one hundredth of the way there right now, going five miles a second for 2,000 years. And this is just between two stars in our galaxy, and there's more stars out there than there are grains of sand on all the beaches on all the earth. So when you look at a statement like, your righteousness reaches to the skies, It's hard to comprehend the amount of purity, the amount of holiness, the amount of justice, the amount of righteousness we're talking. It's infinite. That's the point. An infinitely just being can't allow injustice to go unpunished or injustice to go unpunished. And yet that's what your friend is saying. Oh, I'm not that bad. There's a famous passage in Isaiah says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And many people take this passage as if it's talking about a logical point. Like my logic is beyond your logic. So there may be some things you don't understand. That's not what this passage is teaching. How do we know? You got to get the context. Go back a few verses. Here's what verse seven says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man, his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and our God for he will freely pardon. And then it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts. What is the thought he's talking about? He's talking about moral thoughts, not logical thoughts, moral thoughts. The evil man, his thoughts. So when God says for my thoughts are not your thoughts, he's saying that my pure thoughts are not like your evil thoughts. And then he goes on to say, neither are my or neither are your ways, my ways, your ways are wicked ways. That's what verse seven says. Let the wicked forsake his way. So when God says in verse eight, neither are your ways, your wicked ways, my ways. My ways are pure. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my moral ways higher than your moral ways and my moral thoughts higher than your moral thoughts. You see, the, the, this is what he's saying here. He's not talking about logic, although it is true that God knows things we don't know. It is true that God may operate in ways that we can't completely comprehend because we don't have the big picture and we don't have the capacity God has. But in this passage, he's talking about moral ways. So if your friend is saying, you know, I'm really not that bad a person. Basically, God would say, let the wicked forsake his way and let the evil man his thoughts. Because my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are evil. Your ways are evil. Mine are not. I'm holy. I'm separate. That's what holiness means. You're separate from. And if God is an ounce of justice, He's infinite justice. If God is an ounce of love, He's infinite love. If God, if, if God is an ounce of knowledge, He's infinite knowledge. He's infinite in every attribute He has. So for you to declare that you're morally okay, first of all, you don't have a standard by which to judge that. And secondly, the standard is infinite and you haven't met up to it and neither have I. And that's why we all need a savior. One last question, just with a minute to go, it won't take Long to answer. This gentleman says, hey, Dr. Turek, I have some family members who are Christians, but believe many of the Calvinistic values, including predestination for salvation. I'm wondering how to go about discussing this issue with them in a loving manner, as I believe Calvinism is unbiblical. My follow up question would be, is it worth the time discussing? Is this an essential issue? Okay, Caleb, you just got to go back. Caleb writes that go back to the August 18th, 2018 Podcast. If you get our app, the Cross Examined app, you can find it. You, you may be able to find it on iTunes too, but I know it's archived in the app. And listen to that program. I get into all the differences uh, between Calvinism and what I believe is true. Uh, I talk about. Romans 9 and all those passages. So check that all out there. That'll be the best way of answering that question. The August 18th, 2018 podcast. All right, friends, I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. And I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Continue to pray for Mike's brother, Mike Adams' brother, David, and Mike's fiance as well. I'll give you an update next week, I hope. God bless. See you then.
0: If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.